Morning Landmark, we are thrilled that you're here this morning. You made it with an hour less sleep and rain outside, so we're very thankful that you're here. I have a feeling we all need to wake up. There's always a challenge in sort of flipping that switch. You walk into a room like this, think, okay, now it's time to worship. And guys, here's what I found out as we've been studying together over the last few weeks. The key to worship is, first of all, that we actually see God. And if you're new with us today, we've been studying this passage from Exodus 34 where God describes himself. Uh, Pay attention as I read this verse to you. Here's how God described himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents, the third and fourth generation. If that bothers you, listen to last week's message. We deal with that. But here's what I want you to see today as we get our hearts ready to worship. When Moses saw God, his reaction was to worship. You see verse 30, 30 chapter 34, verse 8. Read this out loud with me. You see it on the screen. Moses bowed to the ground and at once and worshiped. His first response with no delay was, man, I've seen God, I've got to worship. So brothers and sisters, hopefully over the last weeks, we prepared our hearts to worship. I love this definition of worship. Worship is the response of all that I am to all that he is. Say that with me. Worship is the response of all that I am to all that he is. It involves my hands, my head, my heart. It involves all that I am. So I challenge you this morning, as we worship today, think about who God is. Forget about the people around you and worship Him. Let's stand and sing. So many new people to our family. Our family's growing and we love to stay connected to each other. We want this church to be more than a place you attend. We want to be the family you're part of. One of the ways we stay connected is through these little cards you'll find in Lifeline. We call it Connection Card. Every Sunday, we ask everybody in this room to please fill this out. And this is the moment for you to do it. Because we're going to find out about you being here. We're going to find out about the successes and beautiful things happening in your life. And the things that we need to pray about that aren't going so well. So please fill this out. Leave it on the pew or put it on a basket on your way out. We just want to stay connected as a family. You know, we had an incredible worship. And like we said at the beginning of the service, worship is a response of everything that I am to everything that God is. And we now come to a point of worship where, where we give. And, and certainly we can't outgive God, but we can respond to God with a generous heart. And so you can see different ways on the screen right now for you to give. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing this incredible group together. Lord, as we continue to respond to you, we thank you that you have called us to give as an act of worship, as an act of saying, oh, Father, you come first in our life. Oh, we can never outgive what you've done for us, but we do respond. Bless us as we do this right now. I pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, if you're new with us today, we've been in a message series of all things called God, and we welcome you here we got one really special group of people here that I'd like to recognize, and that's the ACA softball team. Would y'all give a hand and welcome them here with us today? 
As the basis of this message series, we've been looking at God's self-disclosure in Exodus chapter 34, where God tells us who he is. Now, here's the importance of the study. You've got an outline in your lifelines if you'd like to take notes. Here's the importance. Your image of God will determine your reaction to God. One theologian says, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think of God. Because listen, if you've got the wrong image of God, you're going to have a bad reaction. If you've got the right image of God, man, you're going to be drawn to him. We do that with people. I remember going on a mission trip right when the Iron Curtain came down to Ukraine. Now think about those people a lot right now during the war. The area we were in was a city called Gorlovka, which is one of the areas dominated by the Russian forces right now. Some great people there. But I'll never forget watching their reactions, many of them the first time they had met an American. There was one young um, college student, and he, he liked hanging out with us, but he never talked to us. And so if we'd go into a, a room together or we'd go to a cafe together, he'd be there, but always on the peripheral. And finally one day, I decided to engage him. And I met him, and he asked my name, and then he asked me some some questions I was surprised by. He said, where in America do you live? And I said, I live in Pensacola, Florida. And the next question was really surprising. He said, have you ever seen a shootout? And I thought, why are you asking me that? Guess what he had watched way too many of? American movies. And so he thought we just went around shooting people. I said, no, I've never participated in one. I've never been in one. And so he was scared of us because of his image of us. And then later, I was a part of baptizing a big Ukrainian coal miner. And um, I remember the first time I met him, his first statement out of his mouth was, Americans are all wonderful. And, and I said to him, could I introduce you to a few of them that I know, okay? May not be as wonderful as you think. Now, why did he think that? I said, why do you think Americans are wonderful? He said, before the Iron Curtain fell, there's an American coal mining executive that visited our coal mine, and we took him down to show him what we were doing. So we went down the shaft. We were hundreds of feet below the earth. We're starting to come back out. We're getting back to the elevator, and that American asked about a certain Ukrainian who had gone down there with us, and he goes, where's so-and-so? And we go, well, we don't see him. And when we couldn't find him, this American executive went walking back through the coal mining shaft in a suit and tie, dress shoes, ended up crawling to a spot to rescue that Ukrainian man. And so his view was all Americans were wonderful because that's what he had seen. And my friends, your view of God will determine how close you are to God. We began this series with some different pictures of God. Maybe you see God like the state trooper around the bend in that small Alabama speed trap. And you think all God's trying to do is catch me doing wrong. And you're not, you're not going to draw very close to God. Or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, you see God as just cosmic Santa Claus. Oh, he says he's making a list and checking it twice, but that, nothing ever happens. And you don't take God very seriously. Or maybe you see God as a distant father. And you would like to draw close to him, but you don't think there's any way he'd want to be close to you. Or maybe you see him as a counselor, and he can give you a few tips about finances, about marriage, make your life a little bit better, but he's not the Lord of your life. 
Or too many of us see them as the escape parachute. When things get bad, we just go to God. But we don't see an ongoing relationship. Now that's why our study is so important. Because the background of our study in Exodus 34 is when Moses wanted to see God. In fact, you can see on the screen there, Moses wanted more of God. And listen to what he said to God. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. I love that verse. And we see that God does this. But you know, I've been looking at this more and more, and today we're focusing more on Moses' reaction than God. And I'm thinking, Moses, why did you ask for that? Man, you've seen the glory of God over and over again. I mean, you were in Egypt when all the 10 plagues came. You helped deliver God's people from slavery. You walked on dry ground through the Red Sea. You were able to eat the manna from heaven. You saw God lead his people with a pillar of cloud during the day and a fire during the night. Man, you were up on the mountain when God gave the Ten Commandments. What, what, what do you mean, Moses? You need to see more of God's glory. Don't you think you've seen enough? Here's what I want you to know this morning, guys. When, when you finally get a glimpse of God, you can never get enough. Amen? You're, you're going to want more and more of him. Some of us are old enough to remember a certain potato chip brand in America that became famous with this slogan. You can't just eat what? One. Ladies, potato. you can't just eat one. You, you get one of them, they would guarantee you you're going for another one. And here's what I want you to see this morning as we study. When you start getting to know God, you want more and more of God. And here's the good news. Everything in your life, everything in your spiritual life flows from that relationship with God. Now, we've been looking at verses 6 and 7, and I want you just to think for a moment some of the descriptions we've seen of God, because God says, okay, Moses, you want to see my glory, I'm going to pass in front of you, and then I'm going to tell you who I am. First word he says is, I'm Yahweh, Yahweh, it means important, he says it twice. What is he saying to Moses? Moses, I'm giving you my personal name. God's not my name, Lord's not my name, Savior's not my name, Yahweh's my personal name. Moses, I invite you to a close relationship with me. And then he says the coolest stuff. His first description of himself is that he's compassionate and gracious. The, the Hebrew there would imply that this is God's dominant go-to personality. He's compassionate. My goodness, friends, he feels for you in everything you're going for. But not only is he compassionate, he's gracious. He feels for you and he acts for you. He comes to your rescue. And then he says he's slow to anger. Oh, yeah, God can't get mad. But that's not his dominant personality. Many of us grew up with that state trooper view of God that his dominant personality is God's always staying angry and ready to catch me. Oh, no, you got to push God far into a corner to get God mad. And then my favorite description, he's abounding in love and faithfulness. That's that covenant words that says, God is sticking with you no matter what. And remember we talked about that crazy scene of how people made covenants in the Old Testament. If I was going to promise you something, it was a sacred vow. You would take some, some cattle and you would have them in half. You'd make an aisle just like this. And they're halved, they're dead. And then you had started that end of the aisle, and you would walk through it. He said, that's crazy. What were they saying? They were saying, 
may it be to me if I don't keep my covenant. Now, here's the crazy thing that we saw. When God made that covenant with Abraham, God is the only one who walked down the aisle. Abraham never walked it. What's that saying? You got to get this, guys. God's saying, no matter how unfaithful you are, I will always be faithful to you. I will never, there's nothing you can do to never, to ever stop me loving you. We've sang about it all morning long. It's been beautiful. And so here's the God that we're responding to. And, and let me, let's go back to Exodus 34 and see what happens immediately after Moses sees God. It's, it's pretty, pretty cool. Verse 8, how we started the service this morning. Moses bowed to the ground at once. And worship, like everybody who ever sees God in the Bible, they fall to the ground and they worship. Lord, he said, if I found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sins and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never done in any nation in all the earth, all the world. The people who live among, among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you. I'll drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Auburnites, the Prezites, the Bamaites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Okay. I just want to make sure, did you catch that? Uh, in, in first service, I only said Auburn Knights. I offended some people, okay? So in this service, I want to be equal opportunity offender, all right? All right. We got all these ites, right? And they're, they're supposed to drive these people out. Be careful, he says, not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. Where you're going or they will be a snare among you. Don't, don't compromise on this. You're going to get messed up. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their ashra poles. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Now, what do we see here, guys? When you come in the presence of God, everything else is a response. We've seen God in this series. Is God is not some static God whose mind can't be changed, who just is monolithic. No, God is responding. And as we respond to this God, Look what happens. Let me just give you a few points real quickly. When you've tasted the Lord, what happens? Number one, you worship him. The only fitting rational response to a God like this is to worship him. You see, when I see the picture of God, I always think of this quotation. It means a lot to me in my life. Lord, the older I grow, the more I know I'm a whole lot worse than I ever thought I was. And the older I grow, I figure out you're a whole lot better than I ever thought you were. And when you understand how compassionate and loving and forgiving God is, you can't help but worship. Sometimes we wonder, how do you walk in a room like this and flip the switch to worship? I can't get up here. Jeremy can't get up here and tell you to worship. You worship because you've been thinking about God. Before you walk in this place, you think about God and let your worship just overflow from that because the word worship literally means exactly what Moses did. He bowed down before God. Number two, when you taste of the Lord, you walk with him. Moses says, Lord, I don't want to go anywhere without you. It, 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 this whole story starts with Moses saying, God, 
these are some pretty rotten people you're asking me to lead, and I'll do it. Number one, if you promise to go with me, and number two, if you tell me who you are. Here's the most exciting thing that we must understand is, my friends, if you knew that God wanted to walk with you, not just in this churchy setting, not just in this kind of room, but just as much when you walk out of here, man, you'd walk out these doors today whispering a prayer, Lord, I'm about to face this week. I cannot face it without you. You go with me, and he'll walk with you. And then number three, you'll witness his power. You know, as you walk with God and you're talking to God and you're asking God to do things around you, you're calling God to bring heaven to earth, guess what? You're going to see some miracles. You see, you're, you're going to see God do some powerful things. This Monday, um, Dan and I had met with a, a brother, a new brother to our church, and he had told us just the most incredible God story. And when he walked out of my office, Dan and I looked at each other and said, we have never, ever heard a story like that. It was so incredible. And my friends, when you begin to walk with God, you're going to see things happen that could not have happened without God. And then number four, you're not going to settle for substitutes. I mean, that's what he's saying is, man, when you get to know the real thing, when you you drink real Coke, you don't want Czech Cola, right? And when you really have experienced God, you're not putting up with these man-made idols. It's not enough. Because here's what's going on in all of our lives. Heard this in Bible class this morning. All of us have a God-shaped void in our heart, okay? And the truth is, we're miserable unless we feel it. And we find some temporary things like drunkenness and drugs or you know, or doing things sexually we shouldn't do, or buying things we shouldn't be buying because we don't have the money, or just trying to fill my life with a a relationship, or fill my life with some kind of other purpose, some kind of hobby. I fill my life with my sports team. That's the biggest thing in my life. And I'm telling you guys, why are we doing all those things? Because we want to fill that 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 heart-shaped void. And, And the truth is, With some of those things I've just mentioned and many others, you can sort of smash those in there and temporarily feel it, but they won't last. The only thing that's going to last in your life is God because that heart-shaped void is God. I did a a funeral service here yesterday. Many of you were here for our dear brother, Erwin Smith, who was tragically murdered a few weeks ago. And we all loved Erwin And we'd seen Erwin fight that demon of drugs for 25 years. And we were seeing Erwin have some great victories. But the favorite thing I got to mention yesterday was what Erwin said a few years ago when he was invited to speak to the ACA football team. See, he had been a star football player at Lanier and in universities back in the 70s. And so they invited Erwin to speak. And so Erwin begins to talk to these kids, and he begins to tell them about his baptism. And he tells them, baptism is the greatest high I've ever had in my life. He tells those kids, I've had some big highs. And here's the way he put it. I hope I can say it right. My high at baptism was better than drinking a 12-pack of Michelob, a quart of Jack Daniels, smoking a rock, and scoring 10 touchdowns all together. Amen? Come on, you didn't hear what I just said. Amen? 
Man, it's that kind of high, guys. And when you begin to experience God, there's none of these things you've been trying to fill your life with that are going to be anything like him. And then number five, here's a cool thing. When you taste the Lord, you begin to work as his representative. You see, God's plan for Israel from the very beginning was that Israel would serve as a light to the nations. In other words, here's what God's saying. Because Israel was a small, insignificant nation. There was nothing that should have made it special except God's hand was on it. And God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this little bitty nation, and I'm going to do such mighty things that it'll be a light to the whole world. And guys, I don't know if you recognize this today, but the church is the new Israel. And what God says to those of us who may look in here and say, man, we're a rather insignificant group. But here's what God says. I'm going to take this insignificant group, and I'm going to allow you guys to be a light to the world. You're going to represent me. Now, how do we represent God? We represent God by imitating God. I mean, all these qualities we've looked at in God, they should be true for us. Or can I ask you this morning, when people encounter you in our community, in your neighborhood, in your home, are you compassionate? Are you gracious? Are you slow to anger? Are you the kind of person that's just abounding in love and faithfulness? I mean, you, you can't make me not love you. You see, guys, we, we live in a crazy world. I won't get too far into it, but people are so mean and so ugly and we're so divided and we don't give anybody slack. We just, we're just going to destroy our enemy if we can. And guys, when we don't participate in that, listen to me, when we don't participate in that, but we love the way God loved, I'm telling you, we begin to represent God. And so here's what I want you to know. What God wants you and I to be is his holy temple on legs. The temple was the place where God lived. You are now the holy temple of God. And everywhere you roll, I'm telling you, he's supposed to roll. When you go in that restaurant in a few minutes to eat that meal, you represent Jesus Christ. When you go into that business meeting, that business deal, you're not there just to to make a business deal. You're there to show people Jesus. When you walk in that school building, you're not there just to get an education. You're there to be the ambassador for Jesus Christ. My goodness, when you get in that baseball field, you're not there just to play baseball. That's secondary. You're there to bring glory to God. Because, my friends, everywhere we go, we represent God. That's what happens when you get to know God. And just one more thing. It's repetitious. You are going to want more than God. You're going to want more of God. Excuse me, not more than God. You're going to want more of God. It's like Moses, like, Moses, why do, why do you want more of God, man? You, you've experienced God more than any of the rest of us. I, I can't get over it. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, my friends, once you've tasted him, once you've lived life with him, then the rest of your life, you're going to want more and more of God. Now, we're closing down this series over the next couple of weeks. Because what, what, what I want this to do in us is an ignite a passion for God that we just can't get enough of him. And we, we just walk around saying, God, I, I want more of you. God, I need more of you. Lord, show me your glory. Show me all your glory. I want the full weight of your presence, God. I'm not satisfied with just going to church. I'm not satisfied with just being a sweet little cultural Christian. Man, God, I want you. Now, here's the cool part. It's to start off sort of bad. At the end of this passage, God gave himself another name, and I don't, honestly, when I first read it, I don't like it. You remember the, the, that final verse 14? The name for God there is jealous. 
He says, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Can you imagine naming your kid Jealous? Oh, here's Dave and Robbie and Susie, and there's Jealous. I mean, we, we, we hate that because when we think of, of jealousy, we think of someone that sounds insecure and selfish and maybe even possessive. It's the boyfriend that's so insecure of his relationship. When his girlfriend walks out of the room, he grabs her phone to make sure she hadn't got any text messages from anybody else. But see, that's not the kind of jealousy he's talking about here. This kind of jealousy is God's jealousy for what he deserves. Here's a better illustration. It's the loving husband who loves and is so jealous for his wife, he's not going to let anybody enter the marriage bed. It's that loving mother who loves their child so much, is jealous for their child, that they are doing everything they can to protect their child from the drug dealer down the street. That's the kind of jealousy God is. In fact, in Scripture, every time jealousy is mentioned, it's mentioned in the context of adultery. It's mentioned in the context of when I put someone or something as more important than God, and God says, I'm telling you, I'm jealous about that. It's a, it's a righteous jealousy. You see, if some man comes up and starts flirting with my wife, I'd be wrong if I wasn't jealous. And God, who loves you more than anybody on this earth, he is jealous when anything in your life becomes more important than him. Now, this is fascinating. This same Hebrew word is translated, is, is translated just two ways in Scripture. Number one is jealous. Number two is zeal. Remember that story in John chapter 2 when Jesus gets so fired up and kicks the people out and knocks the tables over? And, and Jesus finds, finally says, zeal for your house, it's consumed me. That's the same word. And so, guys, we talk about God's name is jealous. That's really good news. What that says to me is that God has a passion for me. He has a passion for you. As my friend Tim Lee often texts people, God is crazy about you. You believe that? Now, let me ask you this. What in your life, or maybe who, should God be jealous of? What are you putting in your life as more important than God? Now, let me just tell you, one thing we found out through this series is God's got feelings. Because that's why the Bible says when people decide to follow Jesus, it says heaven goes crazy in celebration. And when people decide to turn their back on Jesus, man, God is sad. And we understand this. Some of you have been rejected by a spouse in divorce, and nothing's ever hurt you more. Or maybe there was somebody that you really wanted to be in a dating relationship, and man, you went after it, but in the long run, they said, you know, you got a nice personality, but I'm not really interested in you. Or maybe there was a friendship you really wanted to be close friends, but in the long run, that person didn't want to be close friends with you. We all know the hurt that comes from that. And my friends, you need to understand this about God. God is responding to you. God loves you. 
He's jealous for you. And when you put him in any place but where he belongs, first place, it hurts him. So here's the two key decisions I see in our message this morning. They're so very important. First of all, God wants me. I hope you can see this. As we have read this description of God, and Moses says, I want more of you. God says, here we go, man. You can have as much of me as you can get. And I want you to know this morning, more than any other fact, because everything else comes from this, God desires a close relationship with you. Now, the only question is, do I want him? And the Bible talks about this a lot. There's a lot of challenges in Scripture that we are, you know, God has pursued us. I love that song we sang a little while ago. There's nothing he won't do to pursue us. And now God's waiting because God's not a bully. And he's not going to force himself to be your friend. And now he says, what are you going to do? And we spent weeks talking about how awesome God is. Now the question is, what are you going to do? Let me read some passages over you. First of all, from First Chronicles 28. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. Listen to 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear you from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal your land. Sounds like a prayer our country needs to pray right now. How about this one? 2 Chronicles 15, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you're with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you, but if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. Listen, friends, God's not interested in a one-way friendship. He wants a two-way friendship. Listen to what the New Testament says, Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is, then that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then Jesus put it this way. I love this, Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Do you see the intensity in that story or that verse? It's like, let's say, someone comes to town and says, hey, uh, last time I was here, I remember uh, uh, Brian Davis. And they go, does Brian Davis still live around here? I said, yeah, he's, he's still here. And they drop it. That'd be one thing. But they go, no, c- could you help me? Where does Brian Davis live? And I, I get on Realm, our church Realm, you need that. And I look up Brian Davis's address. I said, here's his address out in Pike Road. That's another level of intensity. But what's really going to be the final level of intensity is when this person visiting town who's interested in Brian Davis knocks on Brian's door and wants to come in. And what God is saying is, my friends, don't just ask about me. Don't just seek me. I knock on the door. And guys, what I see about so many of us, guys, is we're not anti-God. We, 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 we don't say we don't believe in God. We think God's a good idea. We think church is a good idea. We think worship is a good idea. But the question for us today is, do I have an intensity in seeking God? Do I say with Moses, God, I've had some of you, but I want more and more. I can't get enough. We had a new member. The last moment of Landmark 101, Chris Wyatt said these words. 
He said, I am on a dead run for Jesus. Man, I love that. I'm on a dead run for Jesus. My friends, I wish I even used that kind of language. Can I ask you this morning? I'm asking myself, are we on a dead run for Jesus? And what I want to challenge you today is if you become lukewarm in your faith, if despite the fact that God has revealed himself to you, you're not pursuing that relationship, there's some other things that are more important in your life. And if I can be frank with you just for a moment, God's jealous. His name is Jealous because he's so passionate about you and you belong to him. And maybe this morning you need to come back to him and just pray for you. Or maybe you've never been a Jesus follower and you're just checking this thing out. Here's my challenge to you. Psalm 34, taste and see the Lord is good. Just try it. And I guarantee you, if you encounter God, you're going to find out he is so good that you're going to want to follow him the rest of your life. If you're new to us today, this is the moment in our, our service where we take prayer requests and where people come forward to be baptized. And if, if you would like to do that, meet me on this front row. In fact, you might just want to